Hello and welcome to Strangers Stopping Strangers, podcast number 48. A big welcome back to anyone who's returning and thanks for stopping in to anybody who's new this week. Well, this week's guest is Peter Fiorelli and it was an in-person conversation that we had in his beautiful home overlooking the Oakland Hills in Northern California. Uh, Peter is a podcaster in his real life, so I was really, truly honored to be a guest, uh, not only in his home, but in what I considered a full, real podcasting studio. He's the man behind the Rock and Roll Archaeology Project, where people can dig into rock and roll history, among some other totally cool podcasts that uh, he tells us a bit about. Needless to say, it really felt like uh, stepping up to the big leagues for Stranger Stopping Strangers. As with every episode, Peter is no exception when it comes to being dead to the core. We cover his pilgrimage to San Francisco from the Northeast in 1989, to his days working at the Warfield in San Francisco, specifically so he could be there for all the awesome Jerry Garcia band shows, uh, to his inspiration for working for Bill Graham. Uh, He had just so many thoughtful song picks and uh, amazing stories to go with them, so we just had so much fun. I was there on a family trip, so this is the first podcast that I had my kids come along to, and uh, they hung with his son and, and had a good time, and on the way out the door, Peter presented my daughter with a Bertha Daddy Bear doll and a football for my son, who showed up in a jersey, and eyes lit up when he uh, talked about football with Peter, and uh, they shared that they are equally football fanatics. So I have to say, there is just nothing like meeting a new deadhead friend who just immediately treats you like a family member that we really are to one another. So thank you, Peter. And um, and thank you to everyone who's listening that's given me this opportunity to uh, continue to meet all these amazing people. So I hope you enjoy, and uh, we'll catch you in a couple weeks. Peter, welcome to Stranger Stopping Strangers. Thanks, Stacy. Well, actually, I'm really not welcoming you. Uh, you have welcomed me into your podcast studio. And you guys, this is amazing. I mean, to say I've gone from, you know, Skype on the computer to one in person, I am sitting in Peter's amazing podcast studio. This is just I mean, it's it's so much better than anything I've ever seen that this is just a huge treat for me. So thank you for welcoming me. Well, it's not that good yet. I don't have a second mic, so we're both leaning over one mic here. And uh, as you can see, I have a lovely view of the Bay Area. I am surrounded in glass, which isn't optimal for podcasting, but I've tried to put some rugs around here and try to keep it a little bit warm and keep the mic warm uh, so that our voices don't bounce around this glass room. But Stacy, it's uh, fantastic to have you here in my house in Oakland and back to your home on the West Coast. I listen to your show, Stranger Stopping Strangers, and know that you're an old head from uh, the West Coast days, a transplant to the East Coast, kind of the reverse of what I did and a lot of your guests in the late 80s, I think. Oh, absolutely. No, it's always so good to come home. I never know what to call home. Is Massachusetts home? But California is always home. And and yeah, this is beautiful. A beautiful day here in Oakland, in person, in a podcast studio. So I say, we made it, listeners. We're in the big leagues now for today. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, Stacy knows that, uh, yes, I do do podcasts. Uh, I can proudly say professionally now, uh, for the first two years, uh, I was an amateur fan, just like most podcasters. I have the, maybe the gift of gab where my wife would say I talk too much. Uh, I don't like to mansplain. I'm, so I do my best uh, to to not try to not talk over when we do podcasts with multiple people. But my partner in podcasting is Christian Swain, and we have a little podcast called The Rock and Roll Archaeology Project, which is a network of podcasts, more like an audio magazine. So if you imagine your feed where you subscribe to the Rock and Roll Archaeology Project, one of the shows you're going to get is a series that takes a historical look and a cultural look at uh, rock and roll through a uh, perspective of the politics and issues that were going on and how rock and roll affected society and society affected rock and roll and how we were all impacted by that 
focusing on the years from around where rock and roll starts to 1945, where we will make the claim eventually that around 1995, rock and roll as a cultural movement and impact movement dies. Now, not the music as an art form. I mean, many people are still making great rock and roll and playing rock and roll, but uh, as something that has an impact on a, a teen or that is representing what's going on in the world, you don't see that a lot more in rock. So that was the main series that we, we do. It's, it's originally scripted. It's highly uh, well-produced. And we also have a few other shows in our network. One is called uh, Rock Talk, where we get together weekly and discuss news reviews. Uh, we bring on other podcasting uh, podcasters like yourself who are in the, the music world and love music and who are fans. Uh, we have a show called Deeper Digs in Rock, which is a single focused topic where we interview producers, artists. Uh, we spoke with Sam Cutler recently. We spoke with Wavy Gravy. We spoke with uh, the man at Martin Guitars, who is responsible for the last four years for creating all the signature acoustic guitars for every artist from John Mayer to Eric Clapton. Uh, so we try to dig a little deep in the show called Deeper Digs and Rock. The other show we have is called The Rock and Roll Librarian. Uh, we have a 35-year librarian from the San Francisco Public Library who breaks down rock and roll biographies and documentaries and books. That's fantastic. Another show called Real Rock, where we have a uh, host, Andy King, who takes a humorous and trivia look at rock music, films, documentaries uh, uh, with special guests every week. That's a lot of fun. And our new show called Vinyl Snob, where we take a look at vinyl, mastering the process, listening, the difference in quality, the collectible uh, people out there collecting vinyl. And then we've done some miniseries, and one that's relevant to Stranger Stopping Strangers is recently we did a six-part show called A Long Strange Podcast, where we looked at the Long Strange Trip documentary on Amazon Films by Amir Barlev. Uh, it's a six-part documentary, but in the film, if you went and saw it in the movies, it was a four-hour film. Uh, so what we decided to do was take each part of the documentary, break it down in a podcast with both folks who were part of the uh, documentary itself, including Amir Barlev, uh, as well as what we call the undeducated. So we had uh, somebody who was very familiar with the dead on the show. Then we had somebody who either didn't like the Grateful Dead or knew nothing about the dead. And their first exposure really was through this documentary. So we then would have them on each episode and break it down. And then at the end, we did a total recap with Amir. Uh, and that was fantastic. That was our first dive into the dead world and Grateful Dead in our podcast, uh, uh, which is something that we're, you know, we saw a lot of listeners. We saw a lot of traction. Our Sam Cutler episode, people love Sam. As you, as yes, you well I know. love Sam. Sam is, hey, Sam, if you're listening, <laughs> yes. hey now. Uh, we, uh, we had the pleasure of meeting at the Cap. What's up? Well, this is fun because this is like, you know, kind of, well, the dead is a passion of yours. I mean, clearly I'm sitting here in your podcast studio looking at, you know, your vintage Jerry Garcia tie with a signature on it and your Jerry mug and every book that was written. I mean, clearly the heart of the matter, you are a deadhead. Uh, yes, I am a proudly admitted deadhead. I did once have hair down to the uh, my waist in a long braid, and don't let that fool you. Not as joking is that, uh, yeah, you know, the dead. What one of the reasons I came out to California, like many people, my wife and I, uh, estimated profit drove us out here. We had been out to California, and I was actually my sister was born here, and I spent the first four years of my life. Uh, so actually came back, and we the dead wasn't the pure reason we came out here in 1989. We did move to California two weeks before the big earthquake uh, in 1989. I was just going to ask you that. As soon as I heard 89, my eyes went up. Right? Yeah, oh we God. were we were here, uh, just had gotten here a couple weeks before. We were on, uh, we were living in Pacific Heights, an area of San Francisco, right off of the Union Street there, right off of Fillmore, where it gets really steep. Yeah. And right as the earthquake hit, uh, I ran out on the deck and overlooked all of the Marina District and the Presidio area. And some of those houses that were built on sand imploded in real time and looked like little minier nuclear bombs going off little clouds of dust where the houses wow. used to be. And so it was like, welcome to California. And, wow. uh, you know, right after that, I remember this was um, obviously in October of 1989. And our first show after that was Jerry Garcia Halloween show at the Concord Pavilion, where he did a Werewolves of London. Uh, and that was my first West Coast uh, Jerry show uh, that led me on to a long string of Garcia shows after that. Well, they did the earthquake uh, relief benefit. I think I just had that one on the podcast recently. It was in Oakland. 
I want to say right afterwards, Joe Rivera. Hey, Joe, I think that was your pick. So there was all kinds. That was the best part of the earthquake is there was all the really cool music that happened afterwards. Yeah, we did right? know a couple of the benefits. Yeah. We went to the Neil Young one yeah. at the Cal, Cal Palace. Palace. I was at that I one. That I attended one? that one uh, with Woo. Carlos, I believe, came uh, out. And if, I, if I'm recalling, there's some other folks. It was Crosby, Stills, Nash, yes. and Young. They all played together. I was with my sister. And uh, I'm a long, I've seen every bridge school benefit 30 years. This was the last one last year. I've been all of them but two. Yeah. Uh, I missed the first year with Jerry and Bob at the bridge school. But yeah. Yeah, that, that's uh, definitely right after the earthquake, and that was our first – well, it was a Jerry Garcia show. Sure, there was a lot of benefits, but uh, hearing uh, Jerry and then right after that, a friend of mine said, you know, Jerry's playing the Warfield. I have a way I can get all three of you guys into the show for free. I was like, okay, well, I'm interested in that. Sure. How did I do that? He's like, well, you can sign up to Usher. I, I have an in with the woman who runs the ushering program at the Warfield. So in 1989, my wife and I became ushers at the Warfield Theater and went on to usher just about every single Jerry Garcia band and or Garcia Grisman show at the Warfield until Jerry died. Wow. And basically sat many times five feet away from Jerry, always trying to claim the best spot and always showing up. I always worked the really crappy shows so I could get preferential where I wanted to pick to work. So I would definitely, during the Jerry shows, when the rap shows or whatever was coming through that I didn't want to see the hair metal bands or whatever, I'd be like, I'm going to work that one. (laughs) That's awesome. So would you like have like different Usher duties that was like some were better than others? Like you would get like the preem spots for different things? Oh yeah, oh yeah. It was all volunteer. So you work the first half and they cut you in the second half so wherever you were when you got cut is you could kind of hang out there in the second half so if you were up in the front rails and you know there were the ushers and i won't say them by name but if you're listening to this and i'm sure you are you'll remember that all the tapers because you couldn't tape jerry garcia show bands at the warfield in the day but they would give their gear to the ushers and the ushers would bring them in early sneak them in with their coats and then when the guys would come in and sit on the rails the ushers would hand all the guys their taping gear wow that's awesome Only in the dead community. Well, you know, so this podcast is definitely the most buttoned up one that we've ever had, with the exception of actually a plan on what we're going to listen to in in, in the plan. So we're going organic. This is totally organic, really natural. And I want to get into some music. So Peter has chosen soundboard, amazing quality music, and has five or six things picked up. But I think the first one should be a Jerry Garcia band at the Warfield. What do you think? Should that be the first tune we play? Yeah, let's go with something that uh, I believe, though. It's a favorite of both my wife and I and uh, over the years, and it's a song I love to hear and don't hear often enough, but uh, it's That's What Love Will Make You Do. Well, let's go in and get a little groove on and hear that's what love will make you do. And then we will come back because believe it or not, Peter has a few more stories to share. So everybody enjoy. Work eight days a week, maybe give it all. 
Well, back from listening to Jerry Garcia Band playing at the Warfield. And uh, one of the things that uh, that we kind of pre-talked about, but I haven't really talked in depth because when you started talking to me, I said, no, 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 wait. I want to hear this on the podcast is uh, some stories about Bill Graham and your, you know, fascination relationships and, you know, kind of what it means to you. So... Well, you know, that that it's a great place to start because actually, you know, well, I don't really have a relationship personally with Bill Graham. I never I don't know him personally. I did work for Bill Graham Presents and uh, had the opportunity to meet him on a couple of occasions. But this ties in perfectly to the, the Garcia at the Warfield, because when I first moved out here, um, I knew who Bill was. I had heard his legend. I obviously knew the letters BGP uh, being on the East Coast, being a deadhead. And I knew that Bill had built Shoreline, kind of the house that Bill built for the dead. It was in, in my our minds back east. It was this kind of sacred place uh, to make a pilgrimage to. And a lot of those places were like that when you're in East coast deadhead growing up when you hear about the greek and in uh, berkeley and stuff so when i'm at the warfield and i'm working a jerry garcia band show at the end of the show I, i'm ushering i'm cleaning up i'm walking around cleaning up and who do i see in the upper balcony you know picking up really trash in between all the seats and this is in 1990 i believe in the in the early years but bill graham and i see bill you know picking up this trash and i'm like well, he doesn't need to be doing this. Like, there's all these volunteer people here being paid to work at this theater and stuff. You know, he's the guy putting on all these rock promotions. Why is he doing this? Um, and that had a big impact on me as a young man, uh, just kind of not, you know, I wouldn't go to the dead just for the parting. You know, it was, it was a lot more than that for me. And then when I started understanding about the music and the the ecosystem and community around the dead and where Bill was in the whole place and time, I was like, wow, I really... It became this this way of looking at leadership or taking on in business about not ever asking anyone to do anything that you wouldn't be willing to do. And there was the example of it right in front of me. No, I mean, you hear about that. You hear about leaders and they say that they do everything from, you know, you know, leading the company to, to being the janitor. You know, I've definitely have heard that. So, but I've never heard that story about Bill. And I, but I believe it because he was such a, an all in strong person you know he led with his heart and with his mind from what i you know what i extrapolate from him just business man but you know it was coming from he cared about it yeah yeah and you know you'll you'll go on to hear stories about the blue coats that used to work in the parking lots at all the dead shows and bill driving around in golf carts making sure they had food and water personally you know rock med making sure that rock med was in place all the time the things that he did for the peers and the way he put on a rock show uh we owe we all owe a great debt that the concert today is what it is because of bill uh there is no question the way that there it became a dance party with a room of people there was lighting, the sound, the way it was all brought together. Uh, it was really owed and due to him. And, you know, when he died, I, when I had just moved out here, he died in October of 1991, which was tragic. The story goes, as many people know, he was on his way back home from the Huey Lewis concert at Concord Pavilion. He was flying back home and, and a lightning storm kind of hit a, a pole. Uh, it was a bad storm, hits a pole. We had the La Laughter, Love and Music concert in Golden Gate Park to celebrate his life. And shortly after that, someone who I had come to know more personally in my life and become someone who uh, I was very fond with was Ken Kesey. Ken Kesey became someone who I knew through a band I worked with in the early 90s, managed, uh, was Jam Bay. They toured up and down the West Coast. They did some music for Ken. They played Ken's Farm. They became very close to Ken. And when Bill died, Ken, in at the Halloween show in Oakland, came out and basically in the middle of a dark star did this jam, this Ken Kesey rap about Bill. And it really, really struck home for me. He, he reads an E.E. E. Cummings poem. And I think without further ado, I, let's, let, uh, let's let Ken say it himself. Absolutely. So we are going to go in and hear that. And uh, so I'm going to call it, we're going to go hear this as music, but it's, it's, it's more than music. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's really meaningful and it's the first time that I've heard this. So maybe the first time for some of you, if not, then enjoy again, but uh, let's hear what, what Ken had to say. And uh, then we will be, uh, we'll back. I was in D.C., and when I got the message, I thought of two things. I thought of 
my son going over a cliff and Bill Graham sending a thousand bucks to put a thing up on the hill that points in all directions in Oregon so you can always find your direction from the top of that hill. And I thought of one more thing that's a little heavy, but that's what it's about. Nobody else reaches across the distance and puts their hand on your shoulder about this shit. I mean, that's good, man, for a long time, reaching across. When you guys played Broken Down Palace at that gig I knew, shit, this is the great man telling me about my son. It's as big a time as it gets. Well, back from listening to the words from Mr. Ken Kesey. And I mean, that's just, it's so haunting. And I mean, I remember it. I remember it so well. And I, um, I had the New Year's concerts. I mean, I was so fortunate because I got to go to the, his last New Year's Eve concert and then the last New Year's Eve concert in Oakland. And I remember just the difference between, you know, the feeling of, you know, when Bill was there and, and what that meant and then going to the next one where they did not the same jam, but they remember that really dark they had like a chanting and yeah. they did something that was, you know, very, uh, very haunting and dark in memorial of Bill in the 91, 92. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ken, you know, soon after that, Jerry dies not long, well, a few years after this. And Ken also does a tribute. Um, so the band I mentioned, Jam Bay, in 1995 plays the Wow Hall and I'm there. And Ken comes and joins us in the middle of this. He comes out and reads a, a long poem that he written for Jerry on New Year's Eve. So for me, it just happened to be in the same place both times that Ken came out and did kind of his personal tributes to Bill and Jerry. And then Ken dies just a few years later after that. Um, those three people, you know, again, in my life uh, have a lot of important significance personally. But then when we do our podcasts, they come up as key historical figures. Ken comes up, uh, you know, back in the 60s with uh, not just One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, but the acid tests and the Merry Pranksters and how that caused a major shift in American culture. Um, you know, just the impact that these 
that these at a macro level that that these three men had and then at a personal level to be able to take some of their of what they were and apply them to on the daily to who we are is a gift and i can't be much you know thankful enough that i've got to be part of that deadhead community and part of that oh absolutely i i no absolutely i think you know it uh, it all started here. It was just kind of a a brew that uh yeah that Ken started the brew and Bill put into the form of the shows and 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 Jerry was you know really the heart of of went on next. So it's a kind of a perfect storm that uh that led to really where we are today, fifty years later. So more than fifty years, fifty two, fifty three yeah, years here later. Here you are doing a dead based podcast and you know the, between the dead and company and long strain trip and. I hear it from more and more people that the time in, is needed now more than ever with what's going on in America that some a band like the Dead or Dead and Company, it's time to kind of rise up and have that rock and roll, you know, revolution a little bit. Oh, I totally agree. And I love all of the new, fresh energy and the young people. And uh, I was talking about it with with a friend yesterday and you know why and I said I think it's just a perfect storm I think that uh I think the deadheads that are, are jumping aboard are no different now than the the kids in the 60s that were looking for something to believe in and and to something that was special and important and then I think when I jumped on board in the 80s it was looking to belong and have something that you believed in that was meaningful and I think now you know after fairly well and having the music I feel like there's a whole new fresh group of kids, but I think that they're, they're really all coming from the same place. You know, in 50 years, we're looking for change. We're looking for belonging. We're looking for peace, kindness, friendship, authenticity, and fucking awesome music. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that's the same thing that came along in the 80s for me and how, you know, there's long, strange trip. And when you look back at it, you, people say, well, it was MTV. It was Touch of Grey. It was in the dark that all of a sudden everyone just jumps on board a little bit. Now, that's true. The awareness was raised about the uh, approachability that the dead were, weren't only just for, you know, 34-year-old, long-bearded, long-haired people when you were at home in, in 1986, 87, 85, and In the Dark's coming out. And the music feels more accessible that you can go out there and take part in what was the last remaining kind of great American American adventure what I felt at that time when we were in college I was lucky you know we were lucky to be alive at that time and when in the mid 80s when the dead came along the ability to take off on the road I had friends that were going to Tibet and Nepal they were importing silver they were importing jewelry we were taking them and selling them at the shows and we were being part of the shakedown street you could sleep in the parking lots this is you know in the mid 80s before it got really bad and uh you know, we got out of where we were and grew up and found America a little bit through the dead. You hear some of this in Long Strange Trip about, about you know, in England, Sam has a great line. He says, you know, in England, nobody wakes up and leaves their front door and goes out to find England, you know, <laughs> you know, in America. And that's what we did. That's what I did is I woke up one day and we're like, we're getting out of here. We're going on tour. You know, we're going to follow the dead and sell things and make a living. And, and we manifested that. We made it happen. And I think the next song I want to play really emphasizes uh, where when I was seeing the Grateful Dead on the East Coast and made the decisions kind of to move out, it was based on two really significant songs and events in 1988. Both of them were, one was at Hampton, which was the run in 1988. It was over my birthday run. Uh, they do Stir It Up. They play uh, So What Jam. Uh, they, it's just an amazing run. It's not the Warlocks run, which is the following year. 89. Yeah, yes. But is it, so it's the year before, and I went and had an amazing experience that changed my life and one of the songs there that I would love to play for you guys is I was a huge Dylan nut poetically before the dead and when the dead started I heard the songs like Desolation Row and Queen Jane Approximately and like songs I'm like wow you like Jerry's playing is matching Bob's words and you know I was always seeing and hearing Bob's words and now I'm seeing Jerry do them and so when the dead would do Dylan songs it had a huge impact for me I created a t-shirt which I sold on tour which I'll show you before we leave Stacey it's on the front it says some days everything's going to be different and on the back it says when i paint my masterpiece but the word peace instead of p-i-e-c it's p-e-a-c-e and you kind of have the steel your you the steely with the dripping uh paint dripping off in the peace sign and so Bob Dylan and the Dead have a big impact, but it was this dark version of Ballad of a Thin Man uh, that was played at this uh, March 1988 show that really just changed that the dead could do uh, no wrong and do anything for me. It wasn't just happy butterflies go lucky. Things could get a little weird and darker, and it was this track. 
All right. Well, I I love this track, and I don't know if uh, who has heard it, but I, I hope it's new for some because it's it's really really special. And uh, and no, I love 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 love. I agree. Hearing the dead sing. I mean, can you can make a whole playlist with all along in the Watchtower and Maggie's Farm and and some of the ones that Peter just mentioned. I mean, it, and and I have actually found it's a it's a good way to maybe introduce deadheads that aren't really deadheads that are rock and roll fans. That you can because I think sometimes getting people into something new, it's the familiarity. So if you can like show them a familiar song but with a different way of playing it, um, it's I mean, believe me, I've spent a lot of my time in the last couple of years trying to turn people into deadheads that weren't necessarily deadheads to begin with. So this is one of my tactics I've used from studio albums. Like you start with American Beauty, right? Everyone starts with American Beauty. And if that doesn't work, I have tried to play Dylan, dead cover Dylan songs as a, another one of my tricks. But uh, let's go hear it. And, uh, and we'll be, then we'll be back. You walk into the room with a pencil in your hand. See somebody naked and you say, Who is that man? You try so very hard. Just what you say Yeah. 
and then he kneels crosses himself and then clicks his high heels without further notice he asks you how it feels he says here's your throat back thanks for the law Shouting the word now. You say, What's the matter? He says, How? You say, What does this mean? And he screams back, You're a cow. Give us a milk. Where else go? You know, something is happening, but you don't know what it is. Jacks who keep you supplied with facts. Somebody attacks your imagination. Yeah, when I expect you to give a check, you attack the attack of a giant falling in the Walk into the room like a camel and then you frown. In your pockets and your nose on the ground There ought to be a law Against you coming round You should be made To end your bones You know something is happening But you don't know what it is Do you? of a thin man absolutely gorgeous song and haunting truly haunting right yeah yeah one of my favorite dylan tracks and uh as you mentioned uh it is definitely a great way everyone i know who hears uh the dead do the dylan songs love them it's a great way to introduce them and in in 1988 i believe uh this was in march that we heard this track and then i was kind of hit the road the east coast and went uh, that September, I went on tour for the whole fall, and I got to hear this next track we're going to do. We're going to get right into it because it was the first time in 17 years that the Grateful Dead had played Ripple um, live electrically as an encore. Now, they had done this. Uh, I remember the story being that there was a Make-A-Wish Foundation had approached Jerry ahead of the show with a young someone who had cancer, a deadhead, who'd requested before they die that they hear this song and had performed it. And it was that kind of magic of the first time in 17 years. And, you know, Brent was there. It was 1988. Uh, and he obviously hadn't done it ever live with them. And it was it felt like something, even though he had been part of the band for eight years, that I hadn't you know, only been a part of that for a short time. It felt like the beginning of something new, uh, which tailed into the next spring, into the Warlocks. I, and it really felt like that fall tour that the band was when they broke out. Ripple was like, OK, we're in for something wholly new and they're, they're revitalized. They're going to do it. So that was when we're like, OK, yeah, we'll move to California the following year. Um, but it was that Ripple that I'd love you to share with you guys here on Stranger Stop strangers that I'm sure you all know the song and, and love it as much as I do. Well, I'm excited to share the song because I have never heard this electric version. I mean, obviously, Ripple is amazing song and always special to hear. But now this is uh, this is new for me. So we're going to listen to a little Ripple and then we'll be back with uh, one more story and uh, and one more song pick. So everybody enjoy. Enjoy. 
now returning from listening to Ripple from 1988 and uh, you know just thinking about 88 I mean 1988 was was my first show my first show was in Frost and uh, 
and what you know you were just saying peter it's it really was the beginning of like a whole new energy and i i think about you know it's the end of the brent years but it was brent's you know they were the most powerful i mean i think about the albums that that i go to that i listen to or the shows that pop up on my playlist and spotify my my everyday rotation so many of them are from you know the 89 90 you know the without a net i mean that is i I listen to that over and over and over and i mean and it was a swan song you know it's um it's it's so heartbreaking how through so much pain so much just amazing music comes out you know yeah those years certainly uh you know, if you were to we can get into this discussion with every person who comes onto your podcast about who their favorite keyboardist was in the Grateful Dead. But for me, it's, it was no question. It was Brent even going back and listening and his his uh, his voice, his energy. And uh, I remember um, specifically, I just saw a show. OK, so. Two weeks ago on Jerry's birthday, there was the Grateful Dead meetup at the movies. Okay, so I got to go. My wife and I went. It was the 89 RFK show. Speaking of 89, it was the summer. And if you go and watch that, there was amazing new footage and documentary of this RFK show. And Bruce Hornsby comes out. He's on accordion. But the entire show, you know, Jerry and Brent... They're smiling at each other. They're happy. Jerry is doing a two-step. Their their energy between them, it's incredible. And you can't help but smile the whole time you're watching it. And so, you know, Brent, you know, was one of those folks when he passed away was also had a bit of an impact on me and, and us and the, you know, whether the dead could, will go on. Obviously, Jerry was still alive, but that that was pretty tough. We were in Chicago at uh, the World Park in Tinley in 1990 to see Brent's last show, uh, which was incredible. And the last, you know, words he spoke and the last song he ever performed was The Wait. And The Wait holds a special place in my life for many reasons with Robbie Robertson and the band. Um, we just did an episode on our podcast about the song opens up. Pulled into Nazareth. Everyone knows the opening line, but people, most people don't know that Nazareth is Nazareth, Pennsylvania, which is where all Martin guitars are made. Okay. And when Robbie Robertson went to write that song, he had no words to open it up. He had all the music. And he looked down at his guitar, and there it said, Made in Nazareth, Pennsylvania, his Martin guitar. And that's how he opened up the line. So I, I, I kind of knew this story, and the band and Robbie Robertson always have a special place in my heart, and so does The Wait. And so Brent, again, you know, Worlds Colliding, singing this as his last song, and the performance is incredible. And uh, I think this is a song I hope your listeners uh, you know take with you. One other story. I want to go before quickly I want to tell before I go is just my quick brush with uh, Jerry once Uh, I talked about working at the Warfield and I not not, I have a story about uh, his manager getting a tie sign that's not really the story because I didn't meet him then but I was leaving with my wife and we were on a scooter we had bought a little um, Yamaha scooter we just moved to the city and he had finished a show at the Warfield and we were leaving and he was leaving in his limbo we didn't really know it but we were about a block away we were on our Yamaha scooter and we pulled up to a stoplight we pulled next to a limo and the window was down and we turned our heads and look around and there's Jerry in the back of the limo sitting there smoking a cigarette and I didn't know what to say or do and at that time if everyone remembers there was a big rumor that dead were going to play Russia you remember that? They were going to go play Russia. I do. I and do. And so I said to Jerry, I'm like, Jerry, are you going to go play Russia? I'm like, I'm going to go see you play Russia. And he looks at me, just smiled and laughed, and he, he didn't say anything. And my wife was, we were just laughing. I, I just wanted to throw that memory out there because I haven't thought of that in a long time until just now. I really haven't thought about that story and haven't really told anybody that story uh, in a long, long time. So before we went, before you listened to the wait, I wanted to throw that out there as well. Oh, I'm glad you did. I'm glad you did. And I can kind of picture it, right? I can picture the gray hair. I can picture the smile. What was it, a white limo or a black limo? It was a black limo. It was a black limo. Okay, <laughs> yes. I'm trying to, like, I'm going down Market Street. Like, I'm, I, exactly. I don't know. I'm, Leaving like, the right there. Like, a yeah. block away. We were, like, right noob- we were noobs to San Francisco. We didn't know any better. It was, like, foggy. It was, like, just randomly. I think I had my, like, your badge still on i'm like a oh, little kid that's, that's awesome well i bet it made him happy you know uh, i bet it was a, i bet it was like a, a little a little twinkle in his eye that night too right on well that's it's 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 more than i have <laughs> <laughs> well let's go and hear the wait and then we're going to come back and do a little sign off and goodbye everybody enjoy <laughs> Thank you. 
We are now back from listening to the wait, and we're back to say goodbye. This has been um, this has been magic. I'm uh, I don't know how I'm going to go back. It's like my my Cinderella moment sitting here in the podcast studio, looking out at the bay, and my uh, my next experience will be back with the trusty computer in the basement in Massachusetts. But uh, but I'll bring all the magic back with me from this. So you podcast in your basement? You're not at least you put on uh, a robe or something. Right? You're not podcasting in your underwear. Like you know, I got to a podcast move next week, and half those people there i don't think they put on their clothes when they podcast <laughs> well you know i don't know depends on what time of year it is I, it depends on how hot it is and uh, and because i do skype record it's only audio but i think i like to be dressed just in case there's a, a skype snafu right and yes. then and then you'd be showing she's showing a lot more than uh than you were intended but um yeah i know it's such an honor to to meet you and and to be in the the presence of a, a real podcaster you've taught me so much just in the last week that uh that we've connected i'm excited about checking out more we talked a bit about the podcast when we uh we started but make sure all the listeners know where to find you yeah, so you can go to rockandrollarchaeology.com. You can obviously find us on you know iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, wherever you listen to uh, podcasts, you can find us. You can find us on Twitter at R&R Archaeology and on Facebook. And uh, we call all of our listeners diggers. So we invite all of you strangers, stopping strangers, listening here, deadheads, to come over and join us as a digger and listen to our podcast. And uh, thank you, Stacy, so much for uh, having me on your show. Well, you guys can all become strange diggers. <laughs> there, there you go. That's a good. That's a good one. <laughs> yeah, some strange. Who are your followers? They're just a bunch of strange diggers. I don't really know. Um, so yes, this was really fun. So, well, as always, thank you for listening, and uh, we'll catch you soon. Bye. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Larry Mishkin, and I'd like to invite you to join Rob Hunt and me on our weekly podcast, The Deadhead Cannabis Show. Each week, we explore the latest cannabis and jam band news and reminisce with other deadheads and jam band lovers about the great musical acts that we've seen and heard. Check out a new episode every Monday.